All right, well, good morning, everybody. Happy Sunday morning. Glad you could join us today on this Super Bowl Sunday. Um, yeah, we're rooting for the Rams because they are, that's right, there we go, there we go. Uh, I have no idea who they're playing. The Bengals, right? I don't watch football at all, so very obvious, but hope we do well. Uh, I definitely look forward to the, our baptism service that's happening in a few weeks. Um, for those of you who want to be baptized, just know we will have sign-ups to have the opportunity to be baptized. But uh, because it's our first baptism service, uh, the first people we actually plan to baptize are uh, our staff members at our church. So we're going to be baptizing uh, Jessica We'll be baptizing uh, Tim, our education director, and we'll be baptizing Pastor Sam, because Pastor Sam was never baptized, and so that'll be fun, that'll be enjoyable, that'll be memorable, we hope you can make it out to that. This is your first time here with us on this Sunday, we've been going through a sermon series called Formed, which is pretty much what we're arguing is that all of us are being formed one way or the other, the only question is what are you being formed by and how are you being formed? We've been going through this for the past two weeks, and we're going to continue on uh, today, and we're going to be looking at a passage from the New Testament in the Gospel of Matthew. So if you have your programs that you got on your way in, it's going to be from Matthew chapter 3. If you don't have your programs, you could grab one in the back or you could look at your Bible app or just share with somebody next to you. But we're going to look at straight at the passage, uh, Matthew chapter 3, starting in verse 16, and we're going to go all the way to Matthew chapter 4, and we're going to go to verse 11. And so Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. If you're there with me, I'll read it out loud, and if you can follow along. So starting in verse 16, Matthew writes, And when Jesus was baptized... Immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread." But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to the very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, all of these I will give to you, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. This is the reading of God's word. Recently, I heard the story of a man named Ignis Semmelweis. I'm not sure if you ever heard that name before. He was a Hungarian physician who worked in Vienna in the 1850s. And he, had overseen, he was overseeing two maternity clinics at this time, meaning that uh, pretty much mothers who were giving birth, he would oversee two different clinics in Vienna. Uh, the reason why he became notable is because there was a problem that took place. Uh, the amount of deaths in one clinic was far more than the other clinic. One clinic, for some reason, had 20 times the amount of mortality taking place amongst mothers giving birth compared to the other ones. And they didn't know what was going on. The moms, for some reason, would get strangely sick and they would pass away. And this made no sense. Like, why were moms passing away? Why was this, this one clinic having this high mortality rate versus the other? 
And so Semmelweis, he did research, and there's only one difference that he noticed between the two clinics. One clinic happened to be run by midwives. The other clinic happened to be run by doctors. And that didn't tell him much, because the clinic that was actually having the higher mortality rate was the one that was ran by doctors. And so what was going on? This was a strange mystery. It wasn't until time passed and he learned that one of the doctors had passed away at the clinic. And he had similar symptoms as the mothers who were passing away as well. And he figured that perhaps this doctor, he died from the same, whatever was going on, the same sickness as the mothers had. And so while Semmelweis was investigating, he had learned that at the clinic, where the doctors were performing deliveries, in the same clinic, they were also performing autopsies. In the other part of the end of the ward, they would go do autopsies on cadavers, and then they would go straight into the delivery room and deliver babies. And Semmelweis, he noticed that as they were doing this, they weren't washing their hands, they were just going straight to the delivery room. And Semmelweis became the forefather of the discovery of germs. He became the forefather. You can't see germs with your eyes, but he saw that they were causing some type of death in a place that was supposed to produce life. Now, initially, when he proposed this, nobody believed him. This was the 1850s, and so they did not believe that there were these invisible microorganisms that were bringing about death. It wasn't until the invention of the modern microscope that they realized that what Semmelweis was proposing was true. There was something that you could not see with the eyes that was bringing upon death in a place that was supposed to bring life. This is how Christians view the spiritual world. This is how Christians view demonic activity. You cannot see the spiritual world with your eyes, but you can sense that there's something more going on in this world. Because despite the progress that we are making, despite all the technological advances that we are taking place in society, there is still something very broken about this world. There's still something very broken about people's lives. And as Christians, we believe that's because there's something more that's taking place beyond our eyes. There is a spiritual realm, and there's also a demonic realm that's there too. In fact, we talked about this last week. There are specifically three enemies of the soul that is working against us. There is what we call the devil, there is the flesh, and there is the world, the unholy trinity. The devil lies, the flesh, it craves into our disordered desires, and the world simply affirms that all this is okay. And the problem, though, is that like the invisible microorganisms in the 1850s that they could not see, you could only see the effects, you could only see the negative impact. We could only see these enemies through the negative impact that's taking place in life. And here's the problem. While Jesus and his followers, they constantly warn us about these enemies, because we can't see them, we don't believe it. And we are constantly being exposed to this without even realizing it. Last week, we zeroed in on one particular enemy of the soul, the devil, and we learned specifically how he tries to destroy us. Jesus believed that the devil was real. The Bible describes him as the prince of this world. He is dangerous as a lion, and the main thing, the main way the devil attacks us is through lies. It's through lies. Because the reason why is when you believe in lies more than exorcisms or demon possessions or natural disasters, it's through the belief of lies that makes you live against reality, makes you make the choices that you make, and eventually what happens, it leads to a place that you don't want to be. 
It leads to a place that you don't want to be. This is what the attacks of the devil is. This is what we describe what spiritual warfare looks like. It's a battle of formation between believing the truth versus believing lies. Because while God wants to transform us into the image of Jesus, the devil wants to deform us into the image of the devil. And so the question is, how can we fight in this battle? Because last week we talked a lot about the battle itself. But how can we actually fight in this battle against lies? How can we be formed more like Jesus than like the devil? The passage that we are looking at today, we see a story describing just that. Jesus is in the wilderness. He just got baptized. He is in the wilderness for 40 days, and all of a sudden the devil comes and tries to tempt him. Just note, this is the first time in the entire Bible that we see a battle between God and the devil. The God and the devil are always around each other, but the first time in the Bible, right here, God and the devil, they do battle. And I don't know about you, but if I imagine God and the devil battling, I imagine these cosmic swords busting out and these shields coming and they're just clashing with one another, or it's a Harry Potter battle where they're just zapping one another and just going all out. But instead, in this battle between God and the devil, between Jesus and the devil, it plays out like a conversation. They're just talking. Because again, the devil according to the Christian view, he attacks mainly through lies. And what we see is that in this, Jesus, he engages the devil in this. And what's most fascinating is at the end of the story, the devil is silent. The devil leaves. And so today, this is what we're going to do. We are going to look at what I love how one author puts it. We're going to look at the story of the man who silenced the devil. The story of the man who silenced the devil. And we're going to use this as a template on how we can fight the devil ourselves. Because while as Christians we believe that the devil, he was ultimately defeated at the cross, he's still attacking, he's still waging wars, he's still trying to have us believe lies all the time. The devil, in other words, he is one of the main reasons why our souls feel shriveled, why we feel joyless, but it does not have to be this way. Does not have to be this way. And so we're going to look at the story and we're going to learn three things. Number one is the nature of the devil's lies. Let's understand the nature of how the devil lies. Number two is the battle against the devil's lies. How do we battle against this? And number three, the power to resist the devil's lies. How do we gain the power? So the nature, the battle, the power. First, the nature of the devil's lies. By the way, I know if you've been here with us a few months ago, we went through the story before and during the Son of God series, well, Fully God, Fully Man series. That was Luke. This is Matthew. And we're also going to be highlighting different things about the story as well. So with that being said, the nature of the devil's lies. So context. Jesus got baptized. He got baptized. Spirit of God leads him to the wilderness for 40 days. And after fasting for 40 days, he meets the devil. The devil comes to him. And when we see the devil comes, he starts attacking Jesus with lies. And as he attacks Jesus with lies, we learn how the devil typically attacks, which is good to know. It's like the Super Bowl today. The Rams have a better chance of advancing the ball and winning if they knew how the Bengals play defense. If they know they're going to blitz every play, that helps them to succeed. It's helpful to know what they're trying to do. In the same way, if we understand the nature of the devil's attacks, we can be better prepared of how it happens. We can know how we can engage. And so, based upon the story, how does uh, the story describe the way the devil attacks us with lies? There's three things. Number one is this. The devil, when he attacks us with lies, when he attacks you with lies, he attacks you with lies that are specific to you. That are specific to you. Notice when the devil approaches Jesus in the story, it's not direct lies, but it's temptations that are customized for Jesus. 
Notice that when the devil comes in the first time, he goes, hey, Jesus, turn this stone into bread. Turn this stone into bread. Why that temptation? Because Jesus happened to be fasting for 40 days. He was really hungry. And so that was a temptation for Jesus at that particular moment in that particular time. Notice the second temptation. The devil tells Jesus, jump off this temple and let God save you. Let him catch you. Why that temptation? It's because right before this, Jesus had heard a voice from heaven when he got baptized saying, you're my beloved son. God just told Jesus, you're my beloved son. So the devil is questioning that at this moment. And then the last temptation, when the devil tells Jesus, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world if you worship me. The reason why that was tempting is because Jesus, he is the messianic king. That was his calling to get the world. So it was particularly tempting for a person like Jesus to receive that offer. In a similar way, the devil's temptations and lies, it's not random, but it is customized and specific to you. What are you experiencing in life right now? See, the devil would not tempt you by going, hey, psst, you see that stone? Turn it into bread. You can't even do that. What tempts Jesus will not tempt us. Or here's another one. Hey, psst, you know what? Two plus two, it's not four. It's five. Okay, that's a lie, but like, why would that mess with me at all? That's not the way lies work. This is how the devil attacks you with lies. It is most often in the places that you are most vulnerable. Wherever you are vulnerable in life, that's how the devil tries to attack you. That's the place the devil is looking for. So here's a better example of how the devil tempts us with lies. Psst, hey, why are you here in church? Everyone's wondering the same thing. You know they're... You know the, that you haven't been to church for a while? So why are you here? And you know how you've been living. You know you've been living kind of a strange life. And guess what? People here probably know too. They're judging you. Now here's the reality. No one's thinking about you that much. Okay, nobody's even, nobody even notices probably that you're here. And the few that do, they deeply care about you. And yet... What's the devil doing? He is using your guilt to color this entire situation for a reason. Or here's another one. Psst, hey, psst, you deserve to be happy. And when you think about your marriage, you haven't been happy for a while. You know, maybe your wife or your husband, not the best fit. Marriage doesn't turn out the way you thought it'd be. And you know, in fact, when you think about it, you got married really young. I mean, you were so naive. Who knows? There might be a better fit out there. Now here's the reality. If you Google search divorce and Google search finding the right mate, you will find that that is so hard, that it is totally against what you think is going to happen. And yet, why does that affect us? You're vulnerable. It's touching a fracture in your soul. And all of us have it. Nobody cares about you. You're old. Their best days are behind you. If people knew the real you, they wouldn't like you. Because it's catered to you. Wherever we're most specific, wherever we're most vulnerable, the lies tend to be most susceptible for us to believe. And that leads to the second one. The devil attacks you with lies that are often filled with truth. Lies only have power when you believe in them. And so the lies that we believe, we only believe them because they're believable. 
We are, they're never ridiculous. You'll never tell somebody, going, I believe this, and they go, that's ridiculous. Most often we go, that makes sense. That makes sense because most lies, they are 95% true and 5% not true. For example, in the story, Jesus, he can turn stone into bread, and he's hungry. Those are true. Jesus, he is the beloved son, and his father would catch him if he fell. Jesus, he is meant to receive the kingdom of the world. You are living a life that's contrary to your faith. That's true. You did marry when you were young and didn't know any better. Any, any better. That's true. You are old. That's true. You're old. And this is why the temptations Jesus, the, the devil draws at Jesus, it's, it's weird. It's always in the form of a question. Did you notice that? It's always in the form of a question because the devil, he wants that lie to be an idea, your idea, your belief. Because once you believe in a lie and it becomes an idea, it's really hard to shake off that idea. Do you remember that movie Inception with Leo DiCaprio? If you don't know that movie, pretty much, you know, someone, they want somebody to believe pretty much in a lie. And Leo is like, you can't just go into their brain and, make the, and insert something in them. They have to be, it has to be their own idea. They have to believe it for themselves. And that's the whole movie of Inception, to make it his idea. Because once you believe in an idea, it's hard to let go of the idea. That's why if somebody breaks your trust, who you trusted, it's really hard to trust somebody again. Why? You formed an idea. You can't trust people. And it's hard for people to shake that. That's why if you meet a left-wing politician, someone who believes in left-wing ideology, or a right-wing ideology, they rarely switch over. They rarely believe in the other side. Because it's hard to let go of an idea. And again, these ideas, you won't ever initially see them as lies. You only see them years later. Years later when the effects start to play out. And here is the third observation about the devil's lies. The devil attacks you with lies ultimately to draw you away from God. That is the ultimate goal. Notice how when the devil is lying to Jesus, the progression of these lies. Turn this stone into bread, Jesus. Jump off the temple, Jesus. Worship me, Jesus. It's like, whoa, that was fast. That progressed. Because the devil's goal is with lies is he wants to begin by having a foothold in your soul so that eventually he can make a home in your soul. You see, nobody in the beginning, when they get married, nobody plans to cheat on their spouse. That's never the plan. What happens? It begins with dissatisfaction. It begins with the thought or a belief or an idea. It then goes to small actions, and then you have a full-blown affair, and you justify it. That's how it goes. Nobody plans to be a sexual predator. That's not the plan in somebody's life. That's not their vision. What happens? You have desires. You have thoughts, you begin to have porn habits or sexual habits, you have an addiction, and all of a sudden, it becomes something you can't control. You see, it's kind of like this. The lies that the devil gives, it's like the germs in the, 1850, in the 1850s. You cannot see it with your own eyes. You can only see its devastating effects. And like I mentioned last time, you don't often see it in your 20s and 30s. In your 40s, in your 50s, you start to see, hmm, something's off. Something's off. And so before we move on, here's a quick question. Do you know in your life where you are susceptible to believe in lies? Do you know where you are most vulnerable in your life? Here's a hint. It's oftentimes the part of your life that you are most filled with anxiety, with anger, with sadness, or with apathy. 
those tend to be those vulnerable moments. It could be your marriage, it could be your job, it could be your friends, it could be your kids. For me, personally, right now, my area of vulnerability right now at this moment, it's church. This church, I am very susceptible to believe in lies. You know why? Let me tell you my experience. Recently, I heard an anonymous criticism regarding something about our church, something that we're doing, or more specifically, something we're not doing enough. I heard this criticism, and by the way, I normally am pretty good, where I'm like, you know, that's, people are going through stuff or so forth, but this one, this one for some reason, it bothered me. It bothered me a great deal. And so I remember I was having like my morning time, which I usually do, I just kind of pray in the morning, and I was thinking about that, and this is kind of like what my thoughts were going through. I kept thinking, who said that? Who is this anonymous person that made that criticism? And why are they criticizing that specific thing? Don't they understand our church's circumstances? We just launched in January. Let us chill a little bit. Omicron messed everything up, but we're limited even what we can do. I just had a baby. I just had a newborn. You know how busy I am these days? I'm so busy. My thoughts kept going. How come that person doesn't consider that? Why don't they consider the circumstances of what we're going through? Why are they criticizing? And why are they criticizing that? In fact, who else is criticizing? Are other people saying the same thing? And it led to more thoughts. You know, how come they don't appreciate? Why don't they appreciate the things that are actually happening here? In fact, when was the last time I felt appreciated as a pastor of this church? When did I feel appreciated? Do people even notice what I do? Do people even notice or even care about my life? And I thought more, now that I think about this, why am I a pastor? Why am I a pastor right now? This is such an unappreciated job. Why did I do something like coding? Coding sounds great. It sounds nice. Hmm, maybe it's not too late. I wonder how much a boot camp costs. And I really looked up boot camps, how much it costs. Now, back up for a moment. I went from being a pastor who was praying to all of a sudden hearing one criticism from an anonymous person to about to become a coder. What happened in that moment? It was almost as if I was feeling this negative force driving against this vulnerable area of my life that made me so susceptible to different thoughts. And maybe it's just the INFJ in me. I'm an INFJ. And if you're an INFJ, you think a lot of negative things. It could just be my brain, my catastrophic thinking, the way that my brain, the, the, the way my brain works. Or perhaps, perhaps, there's a spiritual force that's also influencing me. Something darker, something deeper that's going on. Something that knows where I'm vulnerable. Perhaps the devil knows where I'm vulnerable and where I'm susceptible to lies to drive me further and further away from God and his kingdom. And perhaps he knows that about you too. Maybe he also knows this about you. And here's the thing, if you give in to that, if you believe in those lies, it becomes a stronghold in your mind. It holds you captive and it's hard to change. It's hard to let that go. So how do you break free? How do you break free from the captive of lies? And that leads to the second point, the battle against the devil's lies. We see that when Jesus, uh, he's tempted by the devil, he responds in an interesting way. And when you first read this passage, it's kind of confusing. 
It's a little bit confusing because uh, when the devil goes to Jesus, it's not like he's like, hey, look at this pornographic picture, Jesus. And Jesus is like, no, away from me. That's not what's going on, right? It seems like harmless stuff that the devil is telling Jesus. The devil is saying, hey, Jesus, make this stone into bread. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with Jesus turning stone into bread? Or, hey, Jesus, jump off the temple and let God catch you. Why is that such a problem? Or, hey, Jesus, worship me. Okay, that's a problem. That's a problem. But the first two, the first two, like, what's, what's the deal? And here's the thing. Jesus sees something that we don't see. He is able to recognize the deceit beneath the temptation. He knows what the devil is trying to do, and that's why Jesus responds the way he does. Let's look at it real briefly again. Notice that when the first time, when the devil comes to him, he's hungry, he goes, hey, turn the stone to bread, Jesus. Seems harmless, but what does Jesus say? Verse 4, look at it again. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Why does Jesus respond that way? What Jesus is doing here is he's actually quoting from the book of Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy was in the, it took place in the context where Israel, they were also in the wilderness. And they were walking around, and the main lesson they had to learn in the wilderness is, hey, don't depend upon yourself, depend upon God, don't worry about food, worry about your spiritual relationship with the Lord. And so Jesus, what he recognizes that this is what the devil is trying to do with me. He wants me to live my life where I am depending upon myself and upon the physical, whereas reality is I need to depend upon the Lord and the spiritual because Jesus, he trusts that God's going to provide. And so Jesus, he responds to the devil that way. You look at the second temptation. The devil brings him to the top, top of the temple. He goes, jump off and let God, God is going to save you. And he even quotes the Bible. And look what it says in verse 7. Jesus said to him, again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Why does Jesus respond this way? Again, Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy. Because again, in the wilderness, uh, the Israelites are always testing God. God, do you, do you care about us? God, do you do anything about us? And Jesus, he knows that testing God is the opposite of trusting God. It's the opposite. And he recognized, what you're trying to do to me, devil, is you're trying to find my relationship with God filled with tests, but I trust in God's love. So that's not going to work with me. That's not going to be the path that I go. And then comes to the last temptation, which on surface seems like it's the most obvious, right? Like, worship me and I'll give you the world. It's like, come on, devil. You could do better than that. But for Jesus, this is the toughest one. This is the tough one because this was the plan for Jesus. You will have the kingdom of the world. It's all yours. That's God's reason for sending Jesus into the world. But the devil is saying, and you could do it without suffering. No betrayal, friends. No rejection from the religious leaders. And especially, no crucifixion. No cross. And Jesus, he sees that, but he recognizes that even though that's tempting... If you try to fulfill God's plans, the devil's ways, that's worshiping the devil. That's worshiping the devil. And Jesus, he trusts in God's plans, and he trusts in God's ways. So while the devil's temptations, it seems harmless at the forefront, Jesus saw how it led to a path of lies, and it would lead him away, ultimately, to the Father. This reminds me of a story that I had when I was younger. 
I remember back when I was younger, I was, I think, post-grad life, and I was living at home with my parents, and my siblings also lived with my uh, parents as well. I have a brother and a sister. And I remember one night, I was out in LA and I, was, LA, and I was driving home, and it was, you know, late at night, like 11, 8, 11 p.m. or midnight or so, and my sister, she calls me, and she asks me what time I'm going to be home, and I'm like, oh, I'll be home like around midnight or so. My sister's like, wow, that's kind of late. What'd you do for dinner? I'm like, oh, you know, I did this. She's like, oh, aren't you, aren't you hungry right now? I'm like, you know, now that you mention it, I am a little hungry. And she's like, well, what are you going to do? We don't have any food at home. I'm like, you're right. And she's like, and the restaurants are all closed. I'm like, they are because it's late. And she's like, what are you going to do? I'm like, you know, that's a good question. I don't know. My sister's like, you know what? There was a jack-in-the-box that just opened right next to our house. You should get, get something on the way there. I'm like, oh, yeah, I do remember that jack-in-the-box. That sounds pretty good. Thanks. And she's like, no problem. By the way. While you're there, you mind picking me up a couple of tacos? I'm like, sure, no problem. And so I go to the Jack in the Box and I come home and I give my sister a taco. She's like, thanks, Tom. And I go, thanks for caring for me. And I go to my room and my brother comes in. He's just laughing. He's like, dude, she played you good. Our sister played you good. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And I realized, like, as I was talking to him, I was like, oh my gosh, my sister, she was not worried that I was hungry. She was hungry. That's why she wanted me to go to Jack in a Box. I felt so played. I felt so used. Now, I'm not trying to compare my sister to the devil, okay? <laughs> but looking back on that, I realized I was way too dull to recognize the deceit going on in her temptation. On the surface, it all sounded fine. But there's something going on that I did not see. I was too dull to recognize it. And this is our problem. This is our problem. We are often too spiritually dull to recognize the deceit that often comes through temptation and where it's going to lead us. Psst, hey, psst. Your, your husband and, or your wife and you, you guys are fighting right now. Let them, if they want to rec- reconcile, have them talk first. It's their fault. So you just play it cool. Wait for them to approach you first. It's their fault. Sounds reasonable. Sounds like marriage. Sounds very, sounds very normal. And yet... Keep doing that, and it leads to this lie that avoidance and passive aggressiveness is the best way to deal with conflict. We don't recognize that, and yet that's the temptation. Or, hey, psst, don't go to church today. You're tired. You had a long day. You had a long Saturday. Don't go to church today. You need a rest. Which, again, reasonable, but it leads to a lie that the main type of rest you need is physical, but you don't need rest for your soul. That is a spiritual rest that you really need. You see, unlike Jesus, we tend to struggle to see beyond the devil's temptations. We struggle to see what the devil is trying to do through these harmless, seemingly harmless suggestions and how eventually it leads us far away from Jesus. So how did Jesus get through this? How did he recognize the deceit beneath the temptation of the devil? How did he see the lies I like the way this one Australian named Sarah Dusher, she says it like this. She said, you know, Jesus, he had something that we need to fight the devil's lies. And she calls it voice recognition. Do you guys know what that means, voice recognition? Let me give you an example. Um, you know who has this ability of voice recognition? Moms. Moms have the ability of voice recognition. Because if you ever hang out with moms and they bring their young infants and the infants are in a different room, it's amazing you will see a bunch of moms together talking and laughing and you hear all these kids in the other room playing and inevitably one moment happens or boom, one child just starts crying. 
And when that happens, all the moms, they just pause. And they're all silent listening. And in that silence, you hear one mom go, not my kid, not my kid, that's my kid, I'll go. Now, as a husband, when I see that, I'm like, oh my gosh, how did you do that? It just sounds like noise to me. And yet moms have this interesting ability of voice recognition where they know which cry is their child's. Turns out this is not just observational, it's scientific. It's scientific. In the 1980s, there was a study that was done where scientists gathered a bunch of different moms with different infants, and they recorded 24 different cries from babies. And five of those cries were the cries of the mother's child. So that means 18 of those cries were not. They were just kind of filler cries. When they did this experiment where the mom heard the cries and tried to identify which one was their baby cry versus the other, 92% success rate. At 92%, mothers recognized their infant child's voice. Meanwhile, fathers, they were also tested, and they had a success rate of 45%. 45%. What's going on? Are men just less competent? Probably. Are men just not paying attention as much? Maybe. There's something a little bit more scientific than that, though. You know what the reason why that moms can recognize their child's cries? Oxytocin. Mothers produce oxytocin when they are breastfeeding their child, which is the bonding agent between the mother and the child. And what's crazy about oxytocin is that when the mother is nursing their child and the baby is crying, their ears can hear their child's cry in a distinct, superhuman way. And so it is through this bonding agent of oxytocin between the mother and the child that the mother is literally growing to recognize her child's distinct voice. In a similar way, Jesus, he is able to resist the devil because he has voice recognition knowing when the father is speaking, which is always truth, and when the devil is speaking, which is always lies. Because Jesus is so deeply bonded with the Father. He has such a deep bond with the Father that he knows his Father's voice. And so even when he hears a voice saying, turn the stone into bread, and it seems harmless, Jesus knows that's not from the Father. I know my Father's voice. That's why even when he quotes Scripture, it doesn't the Scripture say this? He goes, that's not from my Father. That's not the Father's voice. And that's how he silenced Satan. He had voice recognition to fight him. And this is what we need too. We need to gain voice recognition so that we can identify the lies from the truth, from the devil's voice and God's voice. So how do we gain this voice recognition? And that leads to the last part, the power. The power to resist the devil's lies. Why was Jesus so deeply in bond with the Father? Well, he just knows when the God's talking and when the devil's talking. Here's the Christian answer, right? Well, it's because he's Jesus. Isn't he just Jesus? He's God, right? So of course he's like that. And we just go, up one day in heaven I could be like Jesus. The reason why we think like that is we tend, especially uh, Western churches, we tend to emphasize the deity of Jesus, how he's fully God. And he played the God card to resist the devil's temptations. But we went through a whole sermon sermon series on this in December. Jesus is fully man. Jesus was fully man. That means he experienced the full capacity of temptation, the full capacity of suffering, just like us. That's why he's able to have compassion upon us. And so when Jesus experienced the devil's lies, 
we have to recognize that it wasn't his guard card that he was playing. Something else was going on. And we see it in the context. Probably the most underrated part of this whole story is what happened right before the wilderness, right before the devil tempted him. Do you remember what happened? In chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, what took place? Look at the passage again, verse 16 and 17. When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, coming to rest on him, and behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Right before he's tempted by the devil, Jesus receives the truth, you're my beloved Son, and he receives the Spirit to fall upon him. In other words, Jesus had two things going for him when he went to battle the devil. Spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. He resisted the devil, not because he was God, but he resisted the devil because he had the spirit and he had truth with them. And you have these two. And you have these two. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ, a new bonding agent is formed. Oxytocin is produced. Where you are now... God's beloved son, and you now have the spirit dwelling in you. And this is good news. This is good news. You know why this is good news? That means you don't have to be God to defeat the devil. You just need God to be with you. You don't have to be God. You just need God. That's all you need. Now here's the problem. If you're a Christian, you have spirit, you have truth, why is it still hard to recognize God's voice still? Why is it hard to like, recognize it? It's, it's challenging still, right? We still believe in lies. It reminds me of a time during COVID. I remember I, was like, I had a PT come over to my house. And I'm like, hey, can you? And he's in our church. He's like, hey, can, I was like, can you tell me like, something's wrong with my body? And he's having me do like, these like, weird stretches. And some stretches, I'm like, I, don't, I, I can't do that. Like, what, is there something? Is it kind of like, I'm injured? That's why, that's why I can't do it? He's like, no, no. It's because... Uh, you know these muscles back here? It seems like you haven't used it in years. Like those muscles just have not been activated at all for a long time and that's why you just can't do that movement. And I can't help but think that's us. Our spiritual muscles have not been activated in a very long time. And so you can't fire it up when you need it most. And that's why what's interesting is, notice when Jesus, he received the spirit, he received the truth, and he didn't go, now let's go, devil. That's not what happened. What happened? He went to the wilderness for 40 days. Verses 1 to 2. Jesus was led by the Spirit, went to the wilderness. For 40 days, he fasted. In fact, Jesus would do this regularly in his ministry, in his life. He would go off. When the crowds are there, he, oh, he goes off by himself. I always thought he did that because he's an introvert. I'm like, I get it, Jesus. You just need a break from people. Mm-mm. That's not what Jesus was doing. Jesus was spending intentional time away from all the other voices of the world, from the religious people, from his friends, from the world. And he was alone with the Father, hearing his voice. No text messages, no social media, no news. All alone in the wilderness, 40 days, just hearing one voice, God's voice, through prayer, through fasting, through his minds on the scripture. And you know what happened because of that? Because Jesus spent so much intentional time with the Father, he grew deeply familiar with his voice. Deeply familiar with his voice where now it's so distinct that he could hear from all the other voices that are out there. Right now, I have a baby daughter. Her name is Izzy. She's three months old. I talk to her all the time. I hold her all the time. And every time I hold her and every time I talk to her, she cries. 
She cries. She thinks I'm a random scary man. Who is this man who took me away from mother? That's how my baby reacts to me all the time. And I get it because I'm watching the other kids all the time. This is probably the least amount of time I spent with all my children because I have two other kids. But here's the thing. I know, I know, right now she might be crying, but give it a few years. Give it a few years and she'll let me hold her. She'll let me hold her. In fact, she will find comfort in me holding her. In fact, she will be comforted just by my voice because she can recognize her father's voice. She's going to go so familiar that she's going to hear me amongst everybody else and this is what Jesus was doing in the desert. He was growing familiar with the father's voice so that before he met the devil, he just knows that's my father speaking. I know his voice. So here's the thing for us. We have to grow familiar with God's voice. And if you don't hear God's voice in your life, what you need is you need to seek God's word. You need to seek God's word, which is living and active. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 said, For the word of God, it's living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the vision of the soul and of the spirit and of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Not just reading it, but God really speaking to you through the spirit. When you're reading your psalm devotionals, our church is going through a psalm devotional, and you feel a passage go, ooh, why does that stand out? The Lord is my shepherd. Huh. Why does that like, make me feel a certain way? Or like, wow, even though I walk through the valley of shallow death, God is with me? Like, if, when you feel that moment, like something is standing out to you, you know what's happening? The word is coming alive. The spirit of God is being activated. You're hearing a word. You're becoming familiar with the voice of God. When you're at church and you hear a passage, and for some reason every other Sunday is super boring, but one Sunday you're like, ooh, that, that passage right there, why did that make me feel a certain way? The Spirit of God is going to your heart, being activated. The Word of God is coming alive. You are receiving a word. You're growing familiar with the Father's voice. And the more time you spend receiving a word, the more you will grow familiar with the Father's voice, oxytocin is taking place, bonding is taking place, and you could start to hear the Father's voice everywhere. Personally, you know who I spend a lot of time with? My wife. I spent at least, it's been over 14 years of me and my wife being together. We've been, we're dated four years, married 10 years. And I heard that, I shared this illustration before, but I can literally hear my wife's voice everywhere I go. When I meet somebody new, I go, hey, what's up? And we start talking. In my mind, I'm like, my wife would really like you. You should meet her in my mind. Or my wife needs to stay away from you. I just know she's not going to like you. I just know it because I just know my wife so well. Or if I'm at a store, sometimes I'm at a store and I see like this like thing that I want to buy. I'm like, ooh, me and the kids, we would love to buy that. I can literally hear my wife's voice go, don't you dare. Don't you dare. Why? I am so familiar with her voice that it's literally in my head and it interprets my life. It shapes my decisions because I, I know my wife's voice because I spend time hearing it all the time. In the same way, if you want to be spiritually transformed into Jesus and not deformed like the devil, this is what you need. This is what you need. If you are exploring Christianity or it's been a long time since you've considered Jesus in your life, it could be perhaps life, it's nice, but it's not as satisfying as you thought it would be. And it could be because a lot of lies that you thought were true, they're turning out to be false. It seemed nice in your 20s and 30s, but now you're getting older, you're like, you know, something is missing. And the problem is, well, how do you know what that is? 
How do you discern the truth from lies? And this is where our church always says, begin with the first truth. You need God in your life. You might need God in your life. And if you profess your need for God, what the gospel promises is that you can be a beloved son. The spirit of God can dwell in you. You could gain voice recognition. So if you're new to the church or exploring the church, that's something that's a journey that we invite you to explore. But if you're a Christian and you say, I have the spirit of God, I believe in the truth, I believe Jesus is my savior, it could be you're just as empty. You're just as blah about life. And it could be because we're not activating the spirit enough. The spirit has not been activated and we're not taking responsibility for that. Rich Velodas, he wrote, he has a quote that I, I just feel is very convicting. He says it like this, quote, I sometimes imagine a scenario in which someone is locked inside of a supermarket and he dies of starvation. Can you imagine? You might say this is impossible. Yet in our spiritual lives, this happens every day. Whether we know it or not, we are locked inside the supermarket of God's abundant life and love. It's all available to us. Even so, people are spiritually starving but it doesn't have to be this way. We're starving, church. We're starving. And all we need to do is we need to be awakened. We need to strengthen that bond, the bonding agent that you have with God, the spirit and truth. You need to be saturated with God's voice every single day. You need to receive a word so that you can be ready for battle, so that you could discern, oh, this is God speaking, and this is when he's not speaking. So to conclude, I know a lot of you, you're here, you're going through a lot of stuff, you have a lot of burdens that you carry. I know Super Bowl is a nice distraction from that, but back to, Mon- back to Monday, it'll be life again. It's going to be hard. And this is why, for me, one thing that I'm dedicated to do is I know that we need to pray for each other for this. We really need to pray because our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers. And so just know I pray for you guys. You should know. If you're a member here, you know I bug you. I'm like, I prayed for you today. I prayed for you again. I don't just say that. I pray for you because I know we need it. Would you pray for each other? Would you pray for each other? Members, you have a members directory. You know who's here. You know who you got to pray for. What would happen if we became a church where all of us recognized the shepherd's voice? Where all of us could have a better idea of, oh, this is God speaking. What could God do in our church, in our community, in our city? So that being said, as I invite praise team up, can I invite us to take a moment to pray? If I can invite us to just reflect upon our lives for a bit, wherever you're at in your life, and if I could just encourage us, um, what part of your life do you feel is vulnerable? And that means what part is filled with anxiousness, filled with worry, filled with apathy, filled with anger, filled with sadness, whatever it might be, what part of your life do you feel that way? It could be that's the part that's just filled or susceptible to lies. And let's just be honest with the Lord, saying, help me to include your voice more in those areas. You might need God's voice a little bit more present in that part of your life. And so wherever you're at, wherever you're at in your faith, wherever you're at in your life, I just take a moment to pause, to be still, to recognize God's presence here, and to share whenever you're ready what you're feeling and your burdens. And so let's take a moment to pause and be still, and then all together I'll close this in prayer. So let's take a moment to pray.